this is Hervé Saint-Louis from the Comic Book Bin. Uh, today, February 8, 2012, it's the podcast, the Comic Book Bin podcast. Um, as usual, we have Dan Horn. Uh, we'll have Andy Frist a little bit later, as soon as uh, we can find him. And today we have a special guest. It's uh, Rob Anderson of Big Dog Inc. Comics, who's going to be talking to us about Rex Zombie Killer. That's a, a new comic that's coming out very soon, and he's a, our special guest for today. Uh, Dan, let's start. Anything to say to uh, Rob? <laughs> uh, just that um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I just read it this morning. Um, and I guess I have to say that I was actually surprised I enjoyed it. <laughs> but, uh, well, I'm glad you it enjoyed has, it. It has, yeah, it, uh, it has an awesome um, uh, hook, and that is the gorilla with the baseball bat <laughs> fighting zombies. And um, beyond that, I, I, I really like the team dynamic as well uh, between all the animals. Um, do you want to tell... Uh, listeners a little bit more about uh, the comic book, Rob? Absolutely, I can give you kind of the, the, the quick uh, description. Um, Rex Zombie Killer um, is sort of like um, The Walking Dead meets uh, Homeward Bound or The Incredible Journey. If people are familiar with that movie, um, it, it, it's about a, a small pack of animals um, led by a hyper-intelligent golden retriever. Um, trying to get across the country after a zombie apocalypse. And as Dan mentioned there, one of those animals is, in fact, a sign language speaking gorilla um, with a baseball bat. <laughs> pretty much, uh, in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some of the other animals besides the gorilla and Rex? Yeah, it, it's, uh, well, the, the pack of animals is, you know, Rex, the golden retriever, um, there's two other dogs, um, Brutus, who is a pit bull that was actually um, owned by a, a drug dealer before the apocalypse and has had sort of a rough life, has been a fighter and that sort of thing. And there's also a, uh, a small dog, um, female dog, uh, named Buttercup that's a corgi mix, um, kind of optimistic and, and happy and, and certainly the, uh, apparently the weakest of the, of the group. And then along with uh, Kenji the gorilla, there's also um, a rather uh, pampered, um, privileged cat named uh, Snowball that's along with them. And so uh, that's that's the, the group, the band that we uh, see as we um, start out the story in, in Rex Zombie Killer number one. So when is, uh, when is it coming out? Uh, the book will be out on stands in April of this year, and it's in the current Diamond Previews catalog right now for pre-order. So uh, people can order it right now from their local store, um, and then, you know, with the way that the order cycle works, it'll be out in, in April. Okay. How many issues? Uh, this is a, a double-sized one-shot. Um, what what uh, basically what we decided to do was to take uh, what's essentially the first two issues, put them together, no package, and uh, and get them out um, for people to check out and to see. Um, and, and what we're really looking to do is to see if people enjoy the book as much as you know uh, the creative team did uh, putting it together. Uh, we certainly have more stories to tell. 
Um, but yeah, right now it's it's a one shot for people to check out and uh, and take a look. It's it's basically a double sized issue, but we've got it priced um, almost like a single issue. We're we're doing a, it's over fifty pages and it's uh, three fifty. That's an awesome price. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a uh, it's definitely a, a thick comic book, and um, it ends. Uh, you know, I would like to see where it goes after this. It has a cool cliffhanger. Um, but oh, yeah, th- th- thanks for saying that, Dan. One of the things that I really tried to do with the story is to tell, you know, a complete tale in the sense that the adventure that they're on in this particular um, kind of two-issue arc uh, gets gets resolved. But I also wanted to to kind of leave it open and, and give a sense of kind of the, the broader world and some of the other things that, that the animals would be facing. So tried to make it complete, but then also you know kind of point to the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, you had talked about it. It was kind of like Homeward Bound and um, uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, and I wanted to say that while I felt like it was, it was um, parts of it were pretty light and uh, could be considered family friendly. Um, that didn't mean that there wasn't uh, a lack of dark uh, subject matter. Um, there's a one scene that especially. Um, <laughs> had me kind of uh, wincing when the guy gets caught under the fence with the zombies on one side and the dogs on the other. <laughs> so it, it's it's a neat uh, a balance I think that you you've you've got going on here. Uh, well, thanks. It's a really tough you know I think it's a tough balance to strike. Um, I think some people may look at it and think you know oh you know, animals talking animals, there can't be anything serious there. But like you said, it's, we try to strike a balance between there being humor and uh, it being fun and, and it being an adventure, but also, you know, hey, it's zombies and it's post-apocalyptic and all that. Um, we, we decided to actually be um, real cautious with the way I, I talked to um, Tom, who's the, the publisher at Big Dog Inc., and, you know, about the book, we were looking at it, and what we decided is that we're actually uh, rating it in terms of, the co- you know, putting a cover rating on it as, uh, like, teen plus, even though we know from talking to people that there are people who um, who have younger kids who love it and who uh, read it and were fine, you know, just advanced, uh, advanced kind of copy stuff. Uh, we're, we're being extra cautious because we know there's some really, there's some serious stuff in there. There's definitely, you know, mature themes and, and some, you know, obviously some violence and zombies. Um but, but we did try to strike that balance, so I'm glad you, you felt like we we didn't go um, too far in, in either direction. We're basically, we just you know the whole creative team is really just trying to tell a good story. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so who's you? I thought you were the publisher, so it's someone someone else is the publisher, right? Yes, that's right. It's being published by um, uh, Big Dog Inc., uh, which is a company run by um, Tom Hutchinson. He's also a writer. Um, and they've been putting out books for a couple years. They've had a kind of growing success. I think the first big hit was uh, called uh, Penny for Your Soul. Um, and their most recent big book that just came out that, that really kind of took off was called uh, The Legend of Oz, The Wicked West, which is kind of a mashup actually of uh, Westerns and, and uh, The Wizard of Oz, the, you know, uh, Toto's a horse, and uh, she's trying to follow the yellow brick road. The yellow brick road's made of gold, and they can't, you know, people have stolen it, They're trying to get to the Emerald City. It's very, very cool. It's been, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it's really a cool concept. And uh, Tom is somebody that I met from the convention circuit over the last couple of years that I had wanted to work with. 
Um, you know, I've got a number of projects that I'm working on. Rex is the first one that was done in my in my first book um, in previews, and Tom was uh, you know really interested in in uh, publishing it. And uh, so yeah, basically I'm I'm a writer, and uh, and so uh, me and and the creative team that were working on Rex went with uh, with Big Dog Inc to get it out into the world. Cool. Can you tell us about the other creators on this book? Yeah, I would love to. I've got a great team um, that has just been fantastic to work with. Um, the pencils and inks, you know, the art was handled by um, Dafu Yu, and uh, Dafu is uh, um, based in New York. Um, he's done work, uh, I guess, most notably for Xenoscope. Um, worked on uh, Grim Fairy Tales and a Wonderland Annual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dafu and I have actually worked together previously on a uh, anthology called uh, Great Zombies in History. So not only have we worked together, <laughs> we've worked together before on zombies and just really uh, love working with him. We actually met at a networking event at New York Comic Con, not this past year, but the year before. Um, and, and you know, have, have gone to work together off and on since then. Uh, the colors are by Kevin Volo, um, who is also a guy that... Um, I met actually through kind of meeting people at conventions. Kevin's done, um, does some coloring work with uh, Hi-Fi and has also done some work for DC. Yeah, uh, um, and, I think I know him, yeah. Yeah, great. He's a great guy. Has and, he and worked I thought, on uh, Freedom Fighter? And that, that could be. I, I, you know, I don't have it right in front of me, but that, sound, that sounds right. Okay. And, uh, um, and I thought he did, you know, a great job with some of the colors, especially as, you know, not giving too much away in the story. As the story kind of builds to a peak, it's getting darker in the story. And um, and I think the color was a, a big part of that that storytelling. And then the the last member of the team is uh, E.T. Dahlman, um, who did both um, design and logo design and all that, as well as lettering throughout the book. And E.T. I have worked with. I think it's correct to say I've worked with him on every book um, that I've done since I started doing comics a couple years ago. Um, so he's just a, a key part of the team, and, and uh, it's great to have somebody that, that has a really good sense. People, you know, lettering is one of those things where it's, it's a true skill and a talent, but if you notice it too much, then something's wrong. And so, <laughs> so he does. He does a great job of, of you know actually adding to the storytelling and solving problems that I've created with, you know, uh, with the dialogue or whatever. Um, and uh, and so yeah, we've uh, we've all worked really closely. Um, Kevin is um, lives in the southeast U.S. and uh, E.T. is actually in Italy. So we're kind of uh, spread all over, and uh, and we worked really well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I want to go. I always joke about how I want to go visit him. He lives in <laughs> some beautiful part of Italy that I want to go to. So. It's, a, it's a work trip, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's cool. Um, so uh, what led you to like create this comic book? Well, you know, it kind of combines, um, I, you know, if, if, I, if I made my list of three things that, that I love, right, the first one is uh, animals. I've been a lifelong animal nut, dog nut, you know, love, love cats, all that kind of stuff. Um but I also am a huge zombie fan and have been, you know, for as long as I can remember. And then the third thing on that is I'm a huge comic book geek. And so, <laughs> so uh, you know, what this book basically combines is just all the things I love. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of thinking about uh, a dog um, being as smart as a human, you know, probably from the old days of, of Lassie, although I always say that Rex makes Lassie look slow. Um, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, um, and wondering what they would be like. I guess you saw one side of that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the book, The 
cat house put out a year or two ago called Duncan the Wonder Dog, where all the animals become intelligent. It's sort of a more <laughs> realistic look at what would happen if all the animals were suddenly intelligent in the world. But, you know, that's that's always been an idea that's interested me and kind of related to that animal intelligence thing. I've always been fascinated with those um, uh, those projects where they've tried to teach gorillas um, sign language, like uh, Coco was a, the famous one that um, uh, that they did that with for many years. Yeah. And they've gotten some of these primates to have, you know, what's apparently a, a pretty big, you know, pretty decent vocabulary of being able to communicate with sign languages. So that's always been something that's fascinated me. Uh, but, you know, so I've always had dogs and cats around. I've never had a gorilla around. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think all of that together with my love of zombies, you know, one of the things I love about The Walking Dead is it's very much about what happens after the zombie movie ends, you know, what happens to those people that have to go on and live. And one of the things that's always been in my mind is, well, what happens to the pets? I mean, you can kind of say, okay, well, they just get eaten or whatever. You know, maybe that's that. But when you start thinking about, you know, the heart and tenacity of animals um, and, and their ability to survive and, and, and all that sort of thing. And these stories you hear that, you know, Homeward Bound was based on of uh, animals that travel these huge distances. You know, they get lost or, or whatever left behind. I just thought, you know, it wouldn't be that easy as them just all getting eaten. There, there would be one out there somewhere that, you know, was trying to trying to make it. And uh, that would be a cool story. I'd really like to tell that. And so it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And even in this form, um, I had been thinking about it uh, off and on going back to, I think, the earliest files I had. And I were like 2008. Um, so so I've been thinking about it a while now. But as far as the way that it came really came together, um, I, uh, I, I really got started in comic book script writing um, studying under a guy named uh, Andy Schmidt, who's a former uh, Marvel and IDW editor. Yep. Yep, yep. And uh, he runs a, a business called Comics Experience, which I took um, actually a couple classes with him and uh, and eventually uh, joined the business. That's not my day job is uh, working for Andy. But during one of the, um, the writing classes that I took, I actually decided, hey, I've had this idea. I'm going to try um, trotting this out and working on it in the class and, and, and all that. And so that was actually the, the source of Rex. It, um, so sort of those ideas drawn together in that comics experience class. Huh. That's really cool. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? My phone. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm getting too many calls. Um, <laughs> You're a busy guy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm all connected. Uh, well, Dan knows me by now, but... Uh, uh, I'm completely geeked out, connected. I don't know how many mon monitors are looking at me right now. Phone, tablets. <laughs> the man in the high tower. There's no notifications right. left and right. Whoa, whoa. There we go. Okay, I'm sorry. gonna start. I'm gonna start tweeting you from here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see how many times I can make it go off. Be like, wow, that guy's really busy. <laughs> and sometimes they call in French, so it's even funnier. Because uh, uh, I flip back and forth quickly in languages, and uh, so I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to pick up that one because I would have switched to French right away. And uh... <laughs> he's, he's gonna forget and start talking to us in French. I think <laughs> Dan, Dan, you're gonna have to translate if that happens. I'll try um, my best. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, so yeah. Um, what other books have, uh, has this publisher published and how come I'm going to 
the classical question, how come I never heard of them before? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a tough market, you know, right now for small publishers. So I think you have to really, uh, you know, work hard to, to get on everybody's radar. Um, I think Big Dog Inc's been publishing for about two years now and they're, you know, and they're in previews. Um, most, most months they have a, a book out there. Um, I think, uh, that, that first one I mentioned uh, earlier, Penny for Your Soul, was the one that really um, was the, the first book that I think started getting um, some attention. I definitely would, would say check it out. It's basically about, um, and I'm, I hope I, I don't mangle this. It's been a while since I, I read it. Um, basically, it's a um, someone with uh, who opens a casino in Las Vegas and basically says that if you come in, and sell your soul to this casino, they'll give you, I think it's $10,000. And of course, a lot of people think it's a promotion or it's just something going on, uh, some kind of a joke. Um, and so people are just swarming in there and taking their $10,000. Well, it turns out that actually they really are selling their soul. And there's an entire story, you know, built around oh. uh, a- angels and the devil. And, Wasn't and, there um, a DC comic, Vertigo comic published with that story? Or is that a different one? I think I, I think I do think I know which one you're talking about. I think it has a little bit different tilt to it. The, the one that I that, that um, I would think of just sort of related to gambling and, and the devil and that sort of thing was uh, a Vertigo series called uh, Proposition Player by uh, Bill Willingham. Okay, it's different. Okay. Yeah, Sorry yeah. The reason that I remember that one is because I'm a huge Bill Willingham fan all the way back to if you guys remember Elementals. Um, and Pantheon and through to fables today. I'm, I'm a huge William fan, but, but yeah, that's, uh, that gives you a sort of a, a, the gist of, uh, pay for your soul. Then they've also done, um, a, a superhero book, uh, called Critter, um, about this, uh, girl with, uh, kind of cat-like superpowers. Um, really enjoyed that a lot. It's really, really a fun superhero tale. And then the, the one I mentioned just recently was, um, uh, Legend of Oz, The Wicked West, uh, the, the kind of Oz uh, Wild West mashup. And that one actually um, got quite a, quite a bit of traction in the market. I think um, issue uh, three was just solicited, and issue one, the last time I looked, it actually did break into the Diamond um, Top 300 list, um, which wow. is no, no easy feat right now because D- yeah. DC's New 52 has kind of pushed the, <laughs> the bottom of the list. It's made it a, a higher... Uh, Hurdle to get over, but for yeah, you know, for, definitely up the ante for uh, for independent independent uh, publishing. That's a pretty big uh, feat for a for a little book. Yeah, so I was you know I was uh, I was pretty you know Tom being a, a friend, I was pretty proud of uh, him after just two years having it in. I want to say issue two or issue two broke the top three hundred just uh, maybe in January, and so. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's a tough market out there right now for small publishers. Uh, it's tough to get the word out. But, yeah, I would definitely um, say if you enjoyed Rex, Big Dog Inc. has a really wide variety of, of, uh, of stories. There's, there's three or four other titles out there um, as well, and, and each one is, is kind of unique and has its own uh, take. But what they have in common is, you know, they're, 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 quality, uh, they're quality stuff. Yeah, uh, I really like, uh, well, I mean, on the visual side, the quality of the artwork. It's pretty solid stuff that I saw in the, in the preview. So that's always a good thing. I mean, you, you know, way back, I mean, when you used to think smaller publishers, you know, you used to think B artists and so on, but this one is actually quite well drawn. 
So, oh, well, I'll say thank you on behalf of Dafu because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of Dafu's work. And the thing that I, I love about him, other than the fact that he's just great to collaborate with, you know, we have a lot of really um, uh, positive back and forth. It's true collaboration is just that he works so hard at the craft. He's so determined um, to make it in the business and um, really takes it seriously. He actually um, <laughs> took a comics experience art class years ago, which I did not know when we met, believe it or not. We, we met completely randomly, like I said, at that networking event. And uh, and in particular, the last couple of years, he has been um, you know really diligent about um, trying to improve his craft, just, you know, just like me working on my writing. Uh, and, uh, and so I feel like Rex, um, was really, um, a, a good showing for him. You know, everything I see from him is better than the, the last thing. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it too. Yeah. Something I like about his work was the inking. Like it's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Um, cause we don't see much comic book inking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know that you got you you got a good eye because he does actually ink um, old school, so he he does actually do it you know right right there on the page, and uh, it, it's funny because the other the other thing that I love about him, which you can see quite a bit in in the book, is he is not afraid of the detail. You know, I mentioned earlier that we had done that earlier that story um, I don't know a year or so ago in Great Zombies in History, and and that story was basically. Um, sort of a mashup of the Spartan 300 with zombies. The The premise of it was that uh, Xerxes' um, huge uh, army actually had many, many zombies in it. It was why, you know, historians think to this day that he couldn't have had an army as big as, as <laughs> was claimed. Well, the reason is they didn't have to feed them and they could just keep going. And there was a reason why they were called the Immortals and all that other stuff. Um, well, anyway, when I, when I wrote that script, you know, Dafu loves to be challenged. And so... I said, well, look, you know, I've done a double page splash here, but, you know, what, what, what we really need to see here is, you know, Leonidas going into battle against all of these, uh, these, these zombies, and he's got the whole army there, so there's two million of them. So draw two million zombies attacking the pass at Thermopylae, <laughs> you know. And he sent that back to me, and it just blew my mind. I don't know how much time he spent on it, but you could see, you know, little tiny zombies as far as into the distance as you could imagine. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he brought that same love of detail to bear. And, and I think, um, it shows in his pencils, but man, when he inks, um, he, he just does not shy away from, from putting everything into, into the page. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a little bit, uh, curious about how it is to create uh, your own comic book in 2012. Like, I know it's probably very different from, uh, especially with the market and everything to do with digital and stuff like that. How is it? How can guys like you, like, and what motivates you to still go out and do it? Uh, considering it's probably more difficult than it's ever been, even though there's more promotion than it's, than uh, we've ever had. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I think it's true that the market is probably tougher than it's been um, in certainly that that I can remember. But I would also say that that's sort of counterbalanced by the fact that there's more information and tools and ability to reach people that actually makes it easier than there's ever been. Whether it's publishing something, you know, digitally, um, as you were saying, uh, or just even connecting with people. I mean, if you go back far enough. 
the idea that I could have connected with the team that I'm working with, um, you know, would have would have been much more difficult before uh, before the internet and everything. So, it, but you know, as far as what keeps me going, it's just literally you know a lifelong love of of comics. I've wanted to write comics uh, or even draw them, which I most definitely cannot do since I was since I was a little kid. I mean, when I was you know when I could barely read, I was making my own comic books and trying to make them and they were, they were terrible. And, uh, and I always wanted to, and I kind of went off and, and, you know, um, grew up and had a life and, you know, career, you know, career and publishing and everything, but I never lost uh, from the business end, I should say, not the creative end, but I never lost sight of the fact that I really always wanted to uh, write comics. And again, sort of the thing that bridged that, for me was, uh, was Andy's classes at comics experience. I when when he finally started, he, you know, when he was at Marvel and right after he left Marvel, he was teaching those classes live in New York city. And there was no, at the time I was in Virginia and there was no way that I could get up to New York city, you know, seven weeks in a row to take six weeks in a row to take those classes. And so the, the key thing that, that finally got it through for me was being able to get uh, being able to take the classes online with him to be able to uh, do the, the video conferencing and the stuff that he does now. And so the urge to do comics had been there literally my entire life. That sort of gave me that last piece that I needed in order to, to go forward. And now I'm still doing it because I love it. Um, as, as far as um, just the logistics of it, um, I think it's easier to communicate with people, you know, all, all over the world than it's ever been before. But I think it's still pretty much the same in the sense that, you know, it's going to start with with story. Um, I'm still, you know, sitting down and, and writing a script, and then I'm, you know, emailing that over to Dafu, who is, um, you know, doing thumbnails that we that we brainstorm about, um, then doing pencils, then inks. Uh, then we're still passing it on, you know, to Kevin for the colors, and then eventually to uh, ET for the letters, and uh, and so I think that the process of creating is pretty similar. Um, to what it was when everybody was, you know, in a bullpen at, at Marvel back in the day. Obviously, the tools have changed, and it's easier to communicate and all that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think anybody who's making comics right now, especially small press or indie comics, is doing it 100% because they love the medium and because they have stories that they just desperately want to tell. Um, you know, because it's because it's a tough market now. So, I mean, that's why Rex Zombie Killer exists. You know, because uh, you have to figure it's a story I really want to tell to go out with this crazy idea of these animals, you know, fighting zombies. <laughs> and it'd be something I was really committed to yeah. <laughs> getting out there. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's one of the reasons that I, I, I've been kind of championing um, uh, some independent publishers lately. Um, and it's because the quality of the storytelling is a lot different because you can tell those people are, not, a, not only are they artists, but they're starving artists, and there's no reason for them to tell these stories other than uh, the mere fact that they want to tell them. And uh, it, it definitely shows through more in uh, independent uh, comic books than it does in uh, the big two. Most of the time. I mean, that's a generalization, but um, I see where you're coming from there. Yeah, I think I, think I see that even sometimes... Um 
with the with the big creators. You know, you'll see. Uh, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but you'll see folks who <laughs> who are telling really solid, you know, really solid, uh, enjoyable, great stories when they're doing work for hire for you know the big two or whatever. But then maybe they have a side project that they're doing that's creator owned or whatever, and you can really feel that passion coming okay. through in that side project. And and it's I think it's that same phenomenon brought down to you know, wow, I'm I'm doing this at night. You know, I'm working my day job, yeah. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna do the next issue as soon as I can afford to, kind of thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, so, Rob, besides um, um, Walking Dead, what other comics do you regularly read? What What are you into? Oh boy, my tastes are all over the place. Um, so we we said we said Walking Dead. Um, I love uh, Lock and Key from uh, nice. from IDW. Yes. Very um, serious. I've been a fan since issue one of uh, of Fables, and really all the all the the stuff that Willingham has done that was. Um, hello. Right around in his career, like uh, I said, back to Elementals. Rob, yes. can you just uh, yes um, backtrack a little bit because uh, we got kind of a a silent moment. The connection was kind of. You up for a little while. Okay. Um, just, okay, so you mentioned... Back to Fables. <laughs> even yes. before, just before Fables. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, so Lock and Key, um, Fables, definitely. Um, big fan of, of Terry Moore and all the stuff he's done from Strangers in Paradise right through to uh, Rachel Rising Now, nice. yeah. um, which is his horror comic. A book that I'm loving right now um, is... Uh, called uh, Stuff of Legend. Have you guys seen yes. that book? Um, yeah. Nope. Nope. That's a good one. Oh, great, great book um, about... It, it, it's, it's one of those ones, again, where if I, if, when I tell you the premise, it almost sounds like it's all ages, and, and it's not that kids can enjoy it, but wow, it's, um, it, it's a story with heart. It's about these, uh, these toys <laughs> who, whose uh, owner, whose boy, are drawn into the, basically into the closet by the boogeyman and kidnapped and they go through into what they call the dark to try to save him. And it's, it's epic. It's really, uh, a, oh, cool. the motion, the heart, everything are amazing. That's a favorite. Um, kind of, you know, a little bit more mainstream stuff. I'm, I'm loving, uh, both, uh, animal man and swamp thing right now from Snyder and Lemire at DC, uh, on, on the Marvel side. Um, I'm really enjoying Avengers Academy, uh, by, by Christos Gage. I don't know if you guys are reading that, but it, it really harkens. I used ahead. to read it. I was going to say I've, I've heard good things about it, and I, I just haven't. Um, I haven't gotten into it yet, but I'll, I'll have to start reading it. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, uh, it, it's just such solid superhero storytelling. You don't really have to be reading anything else when it has crossed over into the big events. Um, even if I'm not following the events, I it's a it's a story that truly stands on its own. Um, for a long time, the, the artists that were, they were kind of had a rotating art team on that between, uh, Sean Chen and, uh, Tom Rainey. And boy, I just, the, the storytelling chops of those guys, they, I mean, they're true pros. So I just was really enjoying that. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy that comic so much that I just kept writing letters in there. And I think they printed about four of them over the course of about six or You're seven that guy. months. Yeah, I'm that guy. So, you know, Hey, that, that proves I'm truly a fan, right? Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the, the other thing on the stands right now that I'm loving, and I guess this isn't a surprise when you think about the fact that I've got a gorilla in my comic, is I'm just loving uh, what Boom is doing with Planet of the Apes. And uh, 
that that's one that goes back to my my childhood to um, just a huge um, Planet of the Apes and you know Planet of the Apes and Godzilla were like my two things that I, that I loved as a kid. So I've been enjoying that one too. So yeah, but you know, but I can also enjoy something like Duncan the Wonder Dog from Ad House. I love that book to death. I'm a big fan of Concrete. Um, you know, just just I, I have sort of taste all over the all over the map. Sounds like you're a you're real a real fanboy, which is really uh, a nice thing to hear from a writer in the comic book industry. <laughs> yeah, you know, probably uh, the, the the hardest thing about kind of trying to do the comics um, full time, whether it's with comics experience or with my projects, is that it cut so deeply into my time to read <laughs> comics. And yeah. don't get me wrong, it's not like I have stopped stockpiling them, right? I mean, I've got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm reading them at every, like, possible spare moment like i think i fall asleep almost every night with a comic in my hands you know because i just get so tired i'm trying to finish it you know um but uh but yeah i'm i'm a dyed in the wool uh fanboy for sure i i just love this stuff i love the medium but i also just love just turning my brain off and just reading something that that blows me away that's great man yeah um why don't we talk a little bit about news and uh, i guess What's new? Uh, I hope. Do we really have to talk about the Watchmen prequel again? <laughs> well, well, I haven't heard what Rob has to say about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is this is one of those things where uh, my fanboy is definitely showing. Um, you know, from the from the creator perspective, um, I feel like it's really you know, unfortunate that at the time that they kind of made that contract, it, it seems pretty clear that the creators believed that the rights would revert to them and sort of the way that's worked out, you know, it hasn't worked out. And so there's the creator side of me just, just winces at that and, and, and feels really bad about it. But man, the fanboy side of me looks at some of the creative teams they've put together on those books. And, you know, I have to admit, I, I want to, I want to see those stories. I don't, I don't know that I could resist, um, seeing somebody like, you know, Adam Hughes taking on, uh, on those characters. And, uh, and so it's, you know, and, and then maybe from, from the business side, this doesn't affect me directly, but, um, anything that helps comic shops right now, I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm in favor of that aspect of it for sure. So if it's going to help comic shops, then, um, that's a good thing. because man, we, we need all of that. We can get, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, we do. Azarello and uh, I mean, we were talking last week about uh, I guess Joe Hubert is going to be working with his son Andy on um, uh, Night Owl. God, that's, awesome. that's yeah. huge. That's, that's huge. huge. It is. And I mean, I <laughs> I was saying that I am you know um, I, I didn't I didn't think I could be more opposed to the Watchmen prequels, but there's just something about Darwin Cook and Azarello and um, the Kuberts and. Uh, like you said, Hughes, uh, that it, it's, it almost feels impossible to uh, resist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, Dar you know, Darwin Cook, I mean, how, you know, what what could he do that I wouldn't want to read, you know? So it's just, yeah. it's just, it's almost, an, it's almost impossible to, to not feel something. And the thing that I keep telling myself, again, the, the, the one part of it gives me pangs from the creator side, but um, what I keep telling myself is, You know, Watchmen is Watchmen, and it will always be up there on the shelf exactly as it's always been. It'll always be there for people to enjoy. So whatever else happens around it, that book is still there and uh, and, and hasn't been been changed by this. And so, uh, so you know, I try to try to keep that 
in, you know, in my mind too. I think, I think a good metaphor would be there's always the Bible, <laughs> right. but the Mormons always have the Book of Mormon. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And there's going to be some that don't want to look at anything but the original, and that's totally cool. You know, to each his own, yep. whatever, whatever works. <laughs> yep. So, um, what else is happening? I, I know, Dan, I wanted to address, uh, uh, you wrote a big article. I don't know if you saw it, Rob. It was a big article that Dan wrote. Um, yeah. Like he put in his, his entire soul into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough one. It took me, um, a few weeks to, uh, kind of hash everything out. Um, <laughs> wow. and it kind of turned into like a, uh, a dissertation. <laughs> It did. But, uh, um, yeah, uh, I think I addressed a lot in there about um, the power of stock narratives and and how uh, s at least some facets of um, mainstream publishing feed into that narrative. Um, and basically what catalyzed that was what we talked about last week uh, with um, the cancellation of Static Shock and then John Rosen coming forward and saying that he was basically <laughs> not allowed to write the book, even though he was hired to write it, you know, and it, it just seemed like it was sabotaged from the get go. And, um, I don't know. What did you think about that, Herbert? Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> well, you went, I went there. <laughs> like you just, it's funny because you made like this, I call it a meta-analysis. Sorry for the, oh boy, university <laughs> speech. <laughs> it felt like uh, something from straight from a, a university class where like wow. you brought in several <laughs> bits, several debates and you like you created this like running team all the way from SOPA to, I don't know, uh, minority representation, uh, even the image of women in society, like you put all of that and there was like one thread throughout this entire thing. And what I liked about the article was that it was, I felt like it was like a coming of age type of article for you where you just like, wow, like got everything together and finally found like your voice. That's what that. So, I'm sorry, I'm going like on the side instead of going deep inside what you said, but it's the way you said it. It felt like it was like, just like you mentioned, you had these things in your mind for quite a while and it just came out. Um, which let me make a segue, uh, with Rob. So, so we get something enhanced from this kind of discussion because I don't want Rob to, I don't know if he's read it. But, uh, Rob, is, is that the same process that you have when you write comics? Like you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you had all those ideas for quite a while. Like, how was it for you to create a common thread of everything? Um, like that made sense. Uh, well, um, in, in terms of the, in terms of the story, like yeah. bringing everything into a spe specific story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, well, first of all, I, uh, I think we were emailing a little bit about this. I've been on the road for, for a week, um, 
kind of helping my family out with something uh, out of the state. So I have not, I haven't gotten to see uh, the article or even much news recently. Although I, I want to read it now. I'm going to have to read it as soon as we get off here. It sounds sounds really deep and, and interesting. And awesome. uh, I would appreciate it if you were that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you a note. I'll send you a note after I read it. Um, Great, but, uh, a oh, it's a good one. It's a it's a it's one of the best we have at the bin right now. Yeah, well, I'll definitely definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny because one of the things that did go through my mind when I was reading that stuff about uh, static shock, and actually in the in the airport today, I was looking at my phone and I end up reading a, an article. I did end up reading a, a, a part of an article on on bleeding cool where I guess Scott McDaniel had actually responded to. Um, the points that John had made earlier over that whole static shock thing. And I only, again, I only got to, to scan it as, as I was boarding a plane. But the thing that kind of went through my mind as, as I read the original account and then the later one is sort of what a fragile process it is to try to kind of build that story. And one of the really interesting, one of the strengths, but also one of the difficulties of doing comics or sequential art is that unless it's a writer artist like like Terry Moore, um, you're you're working with other people, and you know, it's it, it, we were talking about balance earlier. It's a delicate balance to you know have say that idea as a writer that you're trying to um, get across, but then also collaborate with that artist who may also have ideas that that are that are good or or that takes in a different direction, and then adding in an, an editor as well, um, obviously. Um, wow, it's a, it's a difficult uh, balancing act. And so for me, um, you know, I've, I've been in the situations um, for the most part in the last couple of years where I'm working on, um, you know, creator own type stuff or my own, uh, my own characters and things. And then often I've, I've been developing that at the point that I'm able to uh, find the right artist to work with on. And yet there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of collaboration back and forth. So, um, you know, I, I can see how with just a little bit of anything being off balance there, um, it can be really it could be really tough for people to um, to create something that they that they feel, uh, you know, represents their best work or whatever. And uh, I, I don't know. Did that did that answer your question? Did I even <laughs> nudge in the right direction? <laughs> well, I, I would say it's not exactly how Dan wrote it, but it doesn't matter. I just wanted to make sure that like. Because I, I assume you, you you didn't read it, but because what what Dan wrote was uh, it was a, it felt like a denunciation and it felt like a like a cry like a enough of a, like it, it it's like someone that's like all of the crap has been happening and he never said anything and then one day he just like come exploded, but but. <laughs> the way he wrote it was like a narrative, so it actually kind of made sense. It wasn't so, and that's why I said, "Wow!" When I read it, I, I'm like, I just wrote a brief comment. I said, "There's so much stuff in there." I'm pretty sure it's a ten-page article uh, on in, in Word. Um, uh, well, <laughs> it was pretty long. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, there's so much stuff in there that, whoa, we need to back up a little bit and let it sink. Um, and so that that's all. I mean, I just felt it was so interesting when when uh, he wrote it, and it's still a good article. I really suggest that people go and read it, uh, even if it's it's very long. 
it, it's okay because he actually thinks about a lot. Dan, um, he, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just letting you sit back and uh, I'm letting I'm sitting back and letting you plug this for me. So. <laughs> well, the thing is that you 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 like I said, you put a bunch of issues that uh, have been nagging you, including inside and outside of comics, which is what is interesting. But like, there's this common thread in it, and and you you're like, wow, okay. Because for me, the way I see it is that it's more like a, a message about where we are in 2012. With there's a lot of other issues that are people like I don't know, even like Occupy, I don't know, SOPA, a bunch of other stuff that that are happening that people are kind of uh, frustrated about, and you could see it, I could feel that in that article, even though it was related to comics. So. What I like about it is that comics, a lot of people like to think that comics are not uh, outside of the rest of society. It's that own little universe, especially superhero material, that it's not really comic, like, it's not really relevant to whatever else is happening. But what your article managed to do was say, no, it's, you see, like, the same stuff that's hap- that happens in comic happens in a different way outside of comics, but it's all related. It's all the same stuff happening. It's all the same debates that people are having, the same questions people are asking. It's just in a different medium, a different way. Um, and that's what I really liked about the article. Because um, it's it's like a synthesis of what what are the issues in 2012. Uh, I think you've got a lot of stuff in there. It co- It's like a 2012, like almost year in intro. <laughs> Not a year in review, but... An it's almanac. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, I appreciate that analysis. I really do. And um, I I liked what Rob had said about the um, uh, the balancing balancing act of, of creating a comic book. Um, basically, Rob, in a nutshell, what I what I had said about static was that it, it fit into a narrative of. Um, minority characters not being viable in the medium anymore. Mm. And uh, I, 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 I kind of took what you said as a, as a rebuttal that I, I'm taking into account. And um, maybe that's something that I overlooked <laughs> purposely well, <laughs> when I was formulating my, uh, my thesis. But I mean, at the same time, it's, I think I did, kind of address that in the article as well. Uh, I mean, like, the balancing act is between uh, the writer, the artist, and the editor, but it seemed like uh, they had um, eliminated part of that equation with John Rosen uh, by benching him. And kind of what I see there was... Maybe the editor and the artist didn't even realize it, but maybe DC did, that this was going to, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, fit that narrative. Yeah. Um, so people could say that, and please don't take it as an insult at all, Rob, that a comic book featuring talking animals, um, people could claim the same thing that overall history have said that I don't know, there's no human, there's a gorilla, dogs, and a cat. Mm-hmm. The bikers, though. Yeah. And <laughs> that, 
these are not like this is not the formula for like a successful comics and i'm pretty sure i'm hope i hope that you're going to prove them wrong whoever <laughs> even says that because it, it is an interesting premise and I, I i like the fact that you're even though like one could say that okay there's zombies in there so It's sure to be interesting on some level for some people. Um, you're still taking a, a big chance, and it, and it's interesting because at least you're going through uh, the cool stuff. What what you wanna, what you wanna do? Because I mean, after reading just a preview, there's a couple of questions I've got for you. Uh, I don't know if they're gonna be answered inside the story. So if anything is answered, please don't don't let don't tell me. <laughs> No, well, don't tell us. I mean, we'll buy her book. That's the whole point. Um, but, like, quick, because, I mean, other zombie narrative have established kind of rules, so I don't know if you had to go through that process. Like, for example, um, here's a question for you, and I hope it's a good one, even if you don't have an answer right now. Um, okay, gorillas probably share, like, 99% of the same DNA as humans. What happens if <laughs> what happens if a zombie bites a gorilla? Um, oh, I do. I, I do have an answer for that. It's even broader than that. But don't tell us if it's in the comic, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I, there, I think there is one. I, I don't want to get you know. Obviously, I don't want to give away too much. But the but the one um, thing that I think is important to say and that does sort of uh, get to that is in the world of Rex Zombie Killer, animals can become zombies. Oh. Uh, and okay. so that's something that's something that I established. Um, actually, there was a zero issue of Rex that was just sort of in limited release at, at conventions and that sort of thing. And in that, there was a reference where um, I believe it was Rex said to one of the an animals, "Well, you remember what happened to Rascal, right?" So one of the in one of the interesting things uh, you know about it is that if you think about something like um, well, if you think about Let's just take Brutus the Pitbull as an example, right? He's grown up um, as a fighter, basically. He's a he's a tough dog. Um, he doesn't shy away from anything, but really his only weapon is biting. And he's now in a world where if he uses that, um, he will become a, a zombie. And so the animals are very much at risk, and that does create all kinds of um, interesting issues for the world, for, for the animals and the humans in this sort of zombie um, world. Now, as far as what cause the zombie outbreak or, or all that sort of thing that's you know uh that's not stated yet um but i think that's the key point is that the animals are actually at risk of, of being turned themselves okay that's cool that's uh interesting yeah, i think there was a mention of that in the double-sized one shot as well if i remember correctly um yes it, it might have been with uh brutus i think uh as you mentioned yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I thought it was important to try to establish that for for readers to to recognize that the animals are not only in jeopardy of being, you know, torn apart or or, or eaten, but uh, if they bite um, or or they're bitten, you know, they're they're going to be zombies too. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the genetics of humans and um, gorilla survey because there's a the um, uh, Kenji is his name, right? Yes. He's he's kind of conflicted in this issue. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's uh, sort of the other thing. It's, 
it's funny because, you know, as a writer, you're always thinking about, um, well, what, what would this character really be like? And once I started with the premise of a gorilla who has been raised, you know, essentially in captivity in a, in a language institute, that's a pretty, um, sheltered existence. And, uh, and so his, you know, his personality has sort of been formed by that. And he is not necessarily, um, what you would expect from a gorilla with a baseball bat, you know, maybe the first thing you think about. So, you know, what, what I, what I kind of think of it as is, you know, his first instinct is not to, um, smash something in the head, but you don't really want to piss off a gorilla with a baseball bat anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because when I when I read the uh, the tagline, <laughs> I kind of pictured something very different. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not it's not that he can't kick ass, right? I mean, he yeah. definitely can. He can he can yeah. toss a zombie, you know, right in the air, but uh, or, or you know, take two out with one swing of his bat. But it yeah. might not be the first thing that he wants to do, and he might not feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting element, and it separates from uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be berserker mode gorilla, <laughs> but no, it's it's really thoughtful and uh, it was neat. It was a cool touch, I thought, giving him a uh, uh, dimensionality. Yeah, I mean, as as crazy as or as silly as it may sound, you know, I really do think of each of the characters, you know, about what what they would be like and what their motivations are, and 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 you know, essentially what <laughs> what what kind of character they are, and that really informs you know, their decision-making and their actions and, and, uh, you know, where, where that drives the story. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so the book will be about 50 pages, right? Yes. 56 page comic double length story. Okay. And it's coming out in, uh, April. Um, and it's currently in this month's, uh, um, diamond preview. Yes. Uh, do you yes. guys have a whole page in there, or just like uh... we 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 actually do? We have a, a full page advertisement. We're um, on page uh, two ninety five. Page uh, two ninety five. All right. Yeah, where people can see the the cover and some of the uh, full interior page, some of the interior panels, and then the listing in terms of people you know uh, ordering. It's actually a, a diamond spotlight title on page uh, two fifty three. Um, and that, that's where it has like the little blurb about it and then people can order it under, under Big Dog Inc. And in fact, if someone wants to, um, give the, the code to their store, the order code is, uh, Feb, as in February, FEB 120806. And basically any comic shop, um, with that number would be able to place a, a pre-order for the book. And, you know, like we've been talking a lot about the industry and right now and how tough it is for small press publishers. The one thing that I will, um, say is pre-ordering for small press publishers in particular is just crucial. So um, if stores don't know that people are interested in a small press book, they may only order one copy or they may not order any. But if uh, someone lets them know that they're interested, then they may order a couple copies and there may be copies on the stand. So anybody who would like to check it out, I just, you know, would ask them to let their comic shop know so that it'll be available for them come April. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to order it and I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. That's yeah. uh, Appreciate it. Okay. Um, Dan, you're kind of cutting out right now. Am I? Yeah. 
You sound like be, you're on a plane. You sound like you're on a plane, yeah, Dan. I was going to say, it might be the Jets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, so I uh, for um, a couple months ago, but I'm still living by the air base that I used to uh, work at. So <laughs> oh, cool. I've constantly got F-18s flying over it. It's uh, a nice ambiance. <laughs> It'll be, it'll be a good spot if when the zombies come, you know, you can get right there to the base. Cool. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, Rob, before we wrap up, do you have, like, for the comic, like, will there be any, like, digital kind of distribution? Uh, does, has Big Dog uh, ink any plans like that? or? Uh, well, I'm sure, you know, Tom is always thinking ahead. I'm sure he has uh, plans on, on the digital front for Big Dog as a company. But for Rex uh, in particular... Um, we don't have um, something in place just yet. Um, we're definitely focused on um, trying to get the book out into as many comic shops as possible and, uh, you know, hoping that um, the shops that uh, take a chance on it and get it in there and stock it um, have a chance to, to sell it to folks. Um, you know, ho hopefully, we certainly hope that it's available digitally at some point, but I, um, uh, but, but we don't have anything in place right now. Okay. You know when... You when uh, the third issue or well the th well by the third issue i mean uh, the next after the compilation comes out do you, do you guys have any plans for that like or full series or more issues i would uh I, you know what what big dog has been doing in general like for example with a penny for your soul is they have been collecting that they did do a, a trade paperback of the first i think it was five or six issues of penny for your soul in fact had a beautiful uh joe jusco cover on it which is oh, definitely wow. worth checking out yeah it's a beautiful yeah. cover um so so big dog has definitely done that i think the the big thing with rex will be how the market receives it um obviously it, you know it's You know, Dan was referring to the ending before. I have more story to tell here. The entire creative team wants to tell it. I would love to do actually a series of, of one shots or double size one shots here in the coming um, next the, the next year or two. Get it out there and get to the point where there was something to be collected. But that's really um, at this point, that's really sort of up to the market. So I hope people uh, give it a chance because we would love to tell more stories and, and eventually collect them if possible. Yeah, well, I'd like to see it succeed too. I mean, I always like different type of comics like that. It's just fun, and mm -hmm. you can often like suggest it to someone who's probably jaded and say, "Oh, have you tried this? This it's a fun one." <laughs> so on. That's great. Thank you. Um, so, Dan, any last words uh, to uh, Rob before uh... we sign off? I just want to let everybody know that they should they should order this book and uh, yeah they'll, they'll enjoy it. It's a good one. Cool, um, Rob. Um, I guess quickly. Any other plans with comics wise for now? Uh, yes, I, I'm actually working right now on another book um, that I hope will be out uh, later this year um, or early next year. Certainly, we're looking to solicit it later this year. Uh, called Animal Control Special Creatures Unit. Um, and uh, it's about animal control officers in the near future dealing with all these crazy hybrid animals like panda dogs and gator snakes and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and so you can see the animal theme here. But um, yeah. So, yeah, I hope uh, once we get through um, with the solicitation cycle with Rex and get released the, release those hounds out in the world, um, then we'll be turned into... Uh, talking to folks about that and I'll definitely um, 
be reaching out to Comic Book Ben and, and you guys and, and letting you know all about that when the time comes. And I hope people will check that out as well. Cool. Awesome. I look forward to it. Okay, so Rob, what's your Twitter account? I believe uh, I've got it here. I tweeted yeah. about it this morning, but uh... yeah, yeah. Twitter is uh, um, it's just my my name and middle initials. So it's at Robert E Anderson. That's A N D E R S O N. Okay. And and people can find um, Rex Zombie Killer at uh, www rex zombiekiller.com or on Facebook okay. at slash Rex Zombie Killer. Yeah, we'll definitely put it on the, the podcast article today. I mean, so to make it easier. We'll also put the solicitation number and everything else. We'll put everything, all the information you gave us. We'll just put it there. So it's easy for people to order the book. Um, and uh, Big Dog Inc., do you have their Twitter account name? Uh their uh, their website is uh, www.bigdoginc.com. Okay. And uh, and it has all that. They're they're very active on Facebook. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the Twitter account off the top of my head, but all that is linked right from uh, bigdoginc.com. Okay, we'll find it. We'll find it. All right. Well, yep. thank you very much, Rob, for coming. You're our first uh, interviewee guest. I mean, we had a, oh. other guests, but. Uh, We yeah. had a, uh, a political advisor on uh, on our first podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> for that's great. Well, well, hey, I'm 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 honored to be here. It was it was a lot of fun talking to you guys. Thank you so much for uh, for having me in, and uh, I really appreciate it. Dan, I, I'm looking forward to reading that article. I'll shoot you a note. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, do that. I know you must be ridiculously busy. <laughs> No, no, I'm interested. I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, okay, uh, cool. guys, stay in touch, and, and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. Yeah, thanks Thanks for joining us. Okay, thank All you very right. much. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Dan, your Twitter account is Dan underscore Horn. Horn, yep, okay. at Dan underscore Horn, yep. Cool. Uh, you can find me, guys. You can find me at Adventurer, and obviously Comic Book Bin at Comic Book Bin. And, yeah, we'll have... There should be a lot of stuff uh, to update people this week. There's a lot of uh, information. So uh, stay around and uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember, if you don't haven't done it yet, um, please remember to go download the Comic Book Bin apps. Um, we're always working on them. Um, this week Her, I've been... Everybody's always working on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, this week I've been working hard on the iPhone version. I'm actually doing a lot of work on it. I've worked all weekend long on that. Yeah, so, you just updated a lot of the uh, the convention stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I should have mentioned that, guys. Okay. Yeah. The same convention material that you guys can find in the Comic Book Bin apps, I finally managed to put it on the website. And it's also on the Twitter account and the Facebook account. So as as, as every time we have a new entry, uh, within a couple of hours, it just appears on the website. And it is going to get updated because I've got someone to do it for me now. Uh, they're going to update the, the convention listing frequently now. Um, I don't know if you've seen it then, but there's like over 30 uh, entries I so did. far. Yeah, there's I a lot. Look at it. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more conventions than I thought there were. <laughs> there's a lot of conventions, which is why I never could do it myself. I mean, I'm, I'm always busy doing other stuff, but I've yeah. got someone else dedicated to, to do it now. So oh, the nice. same info that you guys can get within the comic book bin apps, you can also get on the website now. Uh, all you have to do is go in the section called iCal 
or you could try the domain, which is a domain that we've had for a while for other projects which are coming at the comic book bin. It's comic book mark, like a bookmark. So it's comic bookmark, uh, no s.com. Um, so you can see all the, all the entries that we have for the comic book convention. I, I don't know why I forgot to mention it. It's a, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah. um, and those get updated quickly and they're on Twitter, on Facebook. So you can find them, find, find them on the website. Um, so that's a cool development that we have, uh, we've done this week. Well, this weekend, like I said, I'm working currently on updating their iPhone app. There should be an update within the couple of weeks. Depends on Apple also, but it's a lot of work. Every time we put a new release out, it's not easy to make those apps. Um, but I, that's what, that's what I've been work, working on this week, which is why I'm not writing articles because I'm working on the next version of the app right now. Yeah. Um, well, you still got a, you were able to write that article about, um, that Canadian bill that's like SOPA, which was really, yes. very interesting. Bill C11. Yeah. Uh, that's the Canadian SOPA. Uh, that one will probably pass. <laughs> really? Do you think so? Oh yeah, we huh. we have what's called a majority government here in Canada, mm -hmm. um, so they don't have to take any input from anyone else. They they just got their mandate in May, so they're technically they're here for the next five years. Even though in practice it's usually four years, so they can pass any kind of bill, even if the public cries over it. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. I mean, they're gonna. They're probably going to change our pension soon. Uh, they want to increase the age of retirement to 67. That's what's been discussed. I don't know. Sure. Nothing has been yes. announced, but I mean, they're, they're already doing a lot more. That's probably more uh, uh, world changing to Canadians than copyright. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the copyright issue is. Uh, what's your What's your retirement age up there right now? Uh, 65. Okay, so it's the same as it is here. Yeah, yeah, they want to increase okay. it to 67. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, that was not going to go well because all people here do vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here too. <laughs> I yeah. don't know how they're going to pull that one off. But, I mean, that's why I say this is the kind of government we have. So if they can do that on, on older people, I don't yeah. think copyright is... Uh, is something that uh, they're going to be swayed over. I mean, they've been trying for the last five years to pass this law um, four times, but it, it always got the first time uh, a bunch of Calgarians stormed the, <laughs> the minister of industry's <laughs> office. I was one of them. Were you really? Oh, yeah. There's pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. There's pictures of that on Facebook and other places. <laughs> I, I was one of those guys. Um, we took him by surprise, um, <laughs> and he did because he didn't know that Cana regular Canadians cared about that issue. Yeah. So they were completely taken by surprise, and they had to reevaluate everything. So we stopped it once. That was number one. Uh, there was a couple of other stuff. Every time they tried to pass a new bill, uh, either the house, the house was a uh, well, the, like the the parliamentary session. Uh, just was over, and so they had to start from scratch. So every bill that was on the table had to be like removed. Well, well kind of went well, kind of dissolved in a sense because every bill that's not passed in the in the current session dies mm -hmm. and has to be reintroduced in the next session. And sessions are quite short in this country, so um, so it was canceled four times before already. So this time, um, I don't think they'll have any problems passing it. What will probably happen, 
couple of years after, as soon as it's passed, is everyone, every civil rights group and a similar type of consumer group are going to challenge every part of the bill mm -hmm. until the courts strike it down completely. Uh, and that's, that's what's going to happen. The problem with that approach, because we, I, we can already tell because they have a requirement in bills like that, especially with copyrights in this country, that mm -hmm. they have to be in the public interest also because they do, the courts do remember that copyrights eventually go revert to the public domain. Something yeah. a lot of copyright holders tend to forget that copyrights are not absolute. Mm -hmm. They don't, you, it's like a license. You, you have a license to exploit it for X amount of years, but after X amount of years, it's not yours anymore. Unless um, you're Disney. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the original spirit of the law. Like Spider-Man, Mickey Mouse, you don't own them forever. One yeah. day, the public owns them and people, t companies like that tend to forget that in this country that in Canada, this is actually something they haven't forgotten yet. The, a lot of the books from, uh, what is it called? Uh, James Joyce were available this year. Uh, there's a, every, it's on the 1st of January of every year. Uh, it's 50 years after the death of the creator. So a lot of books have been available in Canada sooner than other places. Um, just this year, actually. So there, there's, I believe they want to push it back to 70 years. I hope they don't. Cause after 70 years, who benefits from your book is your grandchildren. Most of them, yeah. most of the time, they probably weren't even born. Um, and most it's for companies. It's done for companies. It, um, there's a main difference that we have in copyrights here in Canada that we don't, that you guys don't have in the US, which I believe you guys should have this, right? It's, it's called moral right. Uh, a moral right is, uh, it's a right to say that I created this book. Like for example, Alan Moore and Watchmen. Mm -hmm. He has the right. He is the creator. Him and Dave Gibbons are the creators of the Watchmen. Mm -hmm. No matter how many times they sold it to DC, no matter, DC can never remove that from them. And mm -hmm. it also gives them a little bit of oversight over what DC does with it. So, for example, if the United States had moral rights, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons could have, would have been able to say, we don't want you guys to make a prequel. Uh, even though they don't own the rights to, to, they don't own the commercial rights, but they have a moral right, so they're like the parents and they can say at any time, they can go back. It's never, it's rarely used, yeah. obviously, but they have that power, that ultimate power that says they're not going to make a single penny off it because they've already sold it. But at any point, they can say, or let's say that they decide to make, I don't know, um, Dr. Manhattan purple or pink. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons could come after DC and say, you cannot do this. We will not let you do it. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that's entrenched in American copyrights law. No, no, it's... Uh... Um, it gives a lot of power to artists and creators that they don't have... Otherwise, they, even if they sell the, the property that they created, they still have an oversight over it yeah. that you cannot they mess it up. They have a stake in it. Yeah. A stake in it. They have a stake in it, and they don't own it, but you can't... The Whoever holds those rights mm -hmm. cannot just do whatever they want with it. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing I wish you... Instead of adding... Creating stuff like crap, like Copa, Sopa and Pipa, maybe the... I think the American law process Congress should look at stuff like moral rights instead, because it would give the original creators in, the, in 
many times the, the original musician, the original comic book creators, the original playwrights and so on, some sure. kind of control over the creation that they've sold to a big company. So the big company cannot just do, I don't know, like take a, a song and sell it to sell, I don't know, uh, dishwasher detergent. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. the creator yeah. could go step in and say, no, you're not using my song. Well, that's, to sell um, dishwasher detergent. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I, I'm assuming you know Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, the band. No. Um, no. Okay. No. Um, well, uh, Fogarty, the man who wrote all the music for CCR, I guess never had uh, um, any of the rights to the music that he had written. Wow. And uh, so you see, his CCR's music shows up in a ton of movies because it was cheap to, you know, the rights to those songs. And um, yeah, he has no uh, control over what people do. Yeah, it's it's funny because if you watch a movie in like. Um, from the, that was made in the 80s or uh, the 90s, <laughs> there's probably like a 25% chance that there's like a Creedence Clearwater Revival song in there somewhere. Wow. Well, that's the kind of rights, like people, often when we talk about copyrights, people, like people who, who oppose things like SOPA and PIPA, we tend to be labeled as people who don't care about copyrights and stuff, mm-hmm. which is not true. Uh, I care a lot about copyrights, but the kind of copyrights I want creators to have is a kind where they can stop people from selling stupid detergent and for their song, even if they sold their music to someone else or a big label. That's the kind of rights that creators, it it goes back to whoever created it. They have more control over the big corporation and they can say, well, no, you're not using my song to do this. No. Yeah. That's cheap. I don't want you to devalue my work. You're not doing it. Even if you own it, you can't do that. So this is a right we actually have in this country. Uh, remarkably, they don't want to remove it. I don't think they can remove it. That's not an easy one to remove. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, that would pit the major versus well, that's, creators. That's one of the things that I've, I've heard uh, repeated pretty often from well, from people like Brett Schenker and uh, other political analysts is that <laughs> politicians do not want to redact parts of laws because it's too much work. Yeah. They just want to keep adding and adding and adding. So, yeah, I think that that part of your copyright law in Canada is safe. <laughs> but eventually they're, they're going to add so much stuff to it that it's, it's not even going to make a difference. <laughs> well, like I said, I think it, every, a lot of it's going to be stricken down eventually if it passes. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the public is just getting warmed up um, over the debate. A lot of the media will not pick up the debate because they're also stakeholders and getting this this new law passed. Um, so it's usually smaller websites like Comic Book Bin that discuss these things because we don't have anything to lose. Um, and it is a big <laughs> issue for Canadians and not just Canadians. But I mean, the, the things that those laws are kind of passing in several countries right now, all at the same time, which is going back to the article that you wrote, I can see that thread. Uh, your article didn't exactly speak about that, but you could see that thread that where it seemed that there's a major disconnect with regular people from, mm. I guess, corporation, big corporation, not 
any corporation, big corporations and maybe politicians, there, there's a complete disconnect with regular people's concerns. And yeah, there is. It, it, it's so, that's why I said I really like your article because even though you discuss so many different things, you could see like the disconnect in there that the, some people don't seem to get it. And instead of trying to adjust the issue, they're even, they're going even further, further and further, uh, on the same path. And it's not sustainable. I mean, at one point, we have to all go back in the center because you can't push for rights for one group, uh, and remove those rights from another group constantly and protect a minority all the time. One of the things that annoys me with copyright is that it's one industry that basically wants to control another one and the, and the public, obviously. So it's, it's really entertainment versus tech technology. And I'm obviously, I'm from the tech side. And one of the things I did mention in your article, RIM, which is a Canadian company that makes the Blackberry phones, um, sure. they're not going to go ask the government to protect them from all those Android and those iPhones. No. Yeah. I mean, the government's not going to write a law saying that it's illegal to get iPhones and Android phones in this country to protect RIM and force Canadians to buy Blackberries. They're not going to do that. Yeah. So whether RIM, who's not doing quite well, so well these days, survives or not, the market's going to decide that. It's yeah. not going to be the government protecting them from everything that's happening outside. And in Canada, we've had that for years where the entertainment industry has been sheltered uh, in case you didn't know, for years, like there, we have quotas of how much Canadian content we can put on TV, we can watch. Sure. Uh, the effect of that has create is been to create like a homegrown industry. But I think the homegrown. A lot of people have said that for years, that maybe it's time to open up the the door again. That maybe we're no longer weak as we probably were like 50 years ago, where protection was really needed to foster an industry. But right now. Let's open those doors and let's compete and let's see who's the best, who can entertain Canadians better. I mean, I don't watch TV anymore personally. I don't, I don't even, I don't know what it, what's playing on TV. Um, I mean, there's a reason I'm not, I don't watch TV anymore because there's probably nothing in there for me. Um, yeah. and versus maybe if there was more competition, more of everything, because in technology, that's what's happening. There's, Constantly, there's a lot of competition. Everything changes every week. There's a new phone. There's a new this, a new that, and like you constantly have to be on your on 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 your edge, and and perform and continue to innovate. And the government, the Canadian government, seems to forget that those are the industries that are creating real jobs right now, not those industries they're trying to protect from people who don't want to change, who don't want to adapt. Um, so they probably should. This law is probably going to hurt more the Canadian technology industry, which is a core industry in this country, and which is where people can actually, when we send people to school, they go back and they work for that industry. It's it's an industry with high paying jobs and so on. Instead of focusing on, let's promote this industry, let's make it easier for them to create new stuff. They're trying to repress Canadian the Canadian technology industry without knowing because they're, I mean, mainly because the entertainment industry has been talking uh, to them so much and lobbying so much that they don't get to hear those other voices. So, yeah, I guess that's why an article like that at the bin is still needed. Just so I know, and I do know that the politicians in this country pay attention to that type of articles, especially when they're written at the bin. Uh, 
I, I do know um, that it's been seen, it's been discussed already. I know about that because, I mean, there's been some responses to that article elsewhere. It's kind of interesting to see those. Really? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, there's one thing about the bin that maybe people don't know, but when we do post stuff, um, I've had VPs of big companies call me the next morning uh, when I post one of my major rant about their companies. Yeah, uh, yeah I've used that. Uh, I'm supposed to talk about comic books, not other companies and other industries. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, when you post something at the bin, a lot of people watch it. A lot of people see it. Uh, I'm fully aware of that. And I know it's been, that article has been seen by people who need to see it. Uh, that much uh, I know. <laughs> Whether <good. laughs> other Canadians will see it, that's a different yeah. discussion. No, now I have to wait for the uh, Canadian death squad to come to my front door, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't have one. <laughs> we don't have that here. Um, but, um, yeah, so copyright is still in danger all over the, the world anyway. So, um, yeah, what can I say? Um, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to try to make this a shorter podcast again this week. And I kind of got us off track when we were trying to... Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Copyright is a big issue. I mean, was, it's, yeah, it's at the core of what fault. we do anyway. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, so, all right. Uh, Dan underscore Horn on Twitter. Yep. Uh, comic Book Bin and L'Adventurer. And this is the podcast. This is our fifth podcast. Uh, Andy Frist sent me an email while we were doing it. Yeah, he said he wants to. Okay, couldn't make <laughs> we'll it. Have, we might have to find another night so that he can uh, join us. <laughs> well, I thought we moved that night for him, no? Uh, <laughs> we might have, but uh, we'll have to move it again, I guess. Okay, well, next week we'll probably have Andy Dome. Uh, oh, great. Um, yeah, we'll probably have him back. So, um, yeah, so this was the podcast for this week. Uh, again, please go and download the Comic Book Bin apps on Android, iOS, and WebOS. They're all free, so please go download them. Uh, come and visit the Comic Book Bin, and please support your local comic book store. All right, picking up right now. <laughs> Bye. See you, everybody.